Welcome to Purdue Crop Chat, a regular podcast from Hoosier Ag Today and the Purdue University Extension Service, featuring Purdue Extension Corn Specialist Dr. Bob Nielsen and Extension Soybean Specialist Dr. Sean Castile. On this episode number three, they welcome in Purdue Extension Weed Specialist Dr. Bill Johnson talking about weeds and even pesticide applicator certification news as a result of COVID-19. Suspended until December 31st, so they did kind of ease off of the general use pesticides in terms of the licensing, but not the restricted use pesticides. So the more water-soluble your herbicide is, the easier it is to activate it. Now with another edition of Purdue Crop Chat, here's your host, who's your ag today's Eric Pfeiffer. Welcome into the Purdue Crop Chat, Episode 3. I'm Eric Pfeiffer, and I'm glad to have along Dr. Bob Nielsen, Purdue Extension Corn Specialist. Hello, Bob. How are you? Oh, fantastic. As we continue to practice our social distancing here on the phone, I also have Purdue Extension Soybean Specialist, Dr. Sean Castile here. Hello, Sean. Howdy, Eric. And, you know, we really wanted to class things up today, so I'm here, for one, and we also wanted to class things up and bring in a guest. And we have a good one. We're going to get deep in the weeds today with Dr. Bill Johnson, professor of weed science there at Purdue. And uh, Bill, thank you for joining us on today's podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to the experience. All right. Well, gentlemen, let's jump right into it. Bob, Sean, you've mentioned on prior podcasts that weeds are going to be a major issue this year. And that weed seed bank and a lot of those prevent plant acres from a year ago might be a big issue. Right, Bill? Yes, that's correct. And I think the, the, the big issue we really need to be prepared for this year um, are those uh, fields where absolutely nothing was done to them and we had a lot of water hemp that went to seed. And that weed is so problematic because it produces so much seed and managing it in soybean is, is a big headache and it's becoming a bigger headache every year in terms of the number of acres infested in the eastern corn belt. So the way to approach that is you have to think about your residual herbicide as your as the backbone of your weed control program. And so what that means for water hemp is a residual herbicide that has either an authority product, a valor product, or a zidua product in it, and, and a full labeled rate. Uh, not what we call a plan to failure or, or a setup rate, but we need a full labeled rate. And then hopefully that takes the pressure off of our post-emerge weed control program and allows us to come in with either Liberty, uh, Dicamba, and Extend Beans, or 2,4-D and Enlist Beans. Um, But that's kind of the way to tackle that that water hemp issue on the prevented planted acres. On full rate, so uh, what kind of activity are you talking about? So you get it out there, uh, how many weeks are we typically talking about on these guys? Well, so typically with a full labeled rate, what you're hoping for is about six weeks of residual activity. Um, ideally, what, you're, what you get is about three or four weeks of, uh, of 100% control, no emergence, and then hopefully your soybeans canopy three to four weeks into the season. And then your, your canopy is, is responsible for the majority of weed control for the rest of the growing season. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to set that soybean field up so the soybeans get a head start on the weeds. And then once you get soybeans canopied, you really have very few weed control issues. But ideally, we'd like to get six weeks of residual on water hemp because it has such a long emergence pattern. 
Right. And so, you know, when you think about when that emerges, when, when are we really starting to see first emergers coming through? And then you said the pattern is kind of long. So what do people need to be setting up for? You know, we're in a we're April now. It's been cool and wet. So how early can we go as we try to get everything prepared uh, amid COVID-19 and everything else? Well, <clears throat> excuse me, for a weed like uh, like water hemp, we're probably if, if we were to think statewide, we probably have the bulk of it coming up in mid-May on average. So um, if, if we wanted to start putting our residual herbicides out in early May in order to get a little separation on, in time, if we're concerned about crop injury, that's a good strategy. Um, there's been some recent work that's that's been done that really shows that you know putting your residuals out a week or two ahead of planting um, really doesn't cost you that much five or six weeks down the road as long as you use the full labeled rate. Now, if you put the if you put residual herbicides out early with the setup rates or the planned failure rates, then they are going to break early. But if we're using the full label rates, we can put those out a week or two before we plant and still get a good uh, four or five weeks of residual after the soybeans are planted. Okay, good. Thank you. You're listening to the Purdue Crop Chat. I'm Eric Pfeiffer, and I'm with Bob Nielsen, Sean Castile, and Bill Johnson, professor of weed science at Purdue University. And uh, COVID-19, guys, it's still front of the headlines, front of mind, how it might impact things. And, Bob, I know you had some questions that you were floating around via email before we got going, so go ahead. Well, I mean, these are questions that, you know, mostly for Bill. And, you know, I know the Office of the Indiana State Chemist has come out with some comments or some adjustments to to the regulatory sides of things. And and so, you know, can you sort of bring us up to date on that, Bill, as to what what those folks are saying? Yes. Yeah. You know, just like everyone else, our, our regulatory agencies are being forced to to adapt to these uh, these new um, um, constraints that we're, we're up against. Um, the Office of the Indiana State Chemist has put together a uh, kind of a frequently asked question um, website. And if you go to the Office of the Indiana State Chemist and uh, and look at the pesticide section, it's highlighted in red. But there's about four things, I think, that um, um, that are really important and, and affect a lot of our applicators. So the, the first one would be, um, you know, just re- remember that many of us are working from home, including the state chemist personnel. Um, their offices are not going to be open until at least April 6th, and, and they're also not processing any of the snail mail or any of the hard mail that comes in. So if you've mailed in a fine uh, a question about your license or anything like that, that's not going to be answered until at least April 6th when they get back in the office. Um, and, it, and they may not even be back in the office then if, we're, if we continue to be in a situation where we're, we're social distancing after that. Uh, in terms of the applicator training and testing, all of the applicator training and testing is canceled until at least May 17th. Um, that may change after that. But at this point, for the next six weeks, there's no opportunities to get trained or or tested. Now, uh, for those of you that are using or supervising um, people who are using restricted use pesticides, and these would be things on the herbicide side like dicamba or atrazine, they're still restricted use. So you have to be certified to use or handle. So there's no change in, in what you can do from a um, from the standpoint of restricted use pesticides. 
So we, we can't have applicators that aren't registered to you or licensed to use restricted use pesticides going out there and spraying dicamba this year. Now, um, in terms of the uh, the requirements for general use pesticides and stuff, the stuff that is not um, a restricted use pesticide, the state chemist is going to suspend the uh, registered technician requirements, meaning if you have to recertify or, or test, um, that's going to be suspended until December 31st. So they did kind of ease off of the general use pesticides in terms of the licensing, um, but not the restricted use pesticides. So there's actually a list of 14 things at that website, and I kind of just went over the four most important things, I guess, from my standpoint. So, you know, that information and others is is uh, on my website that I put together that, that is part of the Chat and Chew Cafe, so they can get to the office of the Indiana State Chemist website there. But, you know, you and I were talking <clears throat> earlier about, um, you know, what are some fallback plans if, 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 say, a local retailer shuts down completely because of COVID or maybe shuts down temporarily because an employee has come down sick and they have to disinfect and, and whatever. And, and you had said, you know, well, you know, one, one thing is to make sure you've got a usable sprayer you can operate. But, you know, for a lot of guys, that's too late. So my question is, what are the rules and regulations regarding neighbors with spray rigs? doing your applications for you? What, what do folks need to remember or keep in mind on that? Oh, yeah. Well, great question. And I do know that, um, that out in the, in the farming world that there, there are folks that work together and hire neighbors to do spraying. So um, I know a lot, of that, a lot of that goes on. I think if, if you're uh, a person that, that hasn't um, participated in an arrangement like that, I would just start asking questions to your neighbors, find out if they have the, the capacity to, to take on some additional acres, um, find out if they're, if they're licensed to use restricted use pesticides, if, you're, if you need to have atrazine or dicamba applied to your, um, to your fields. Um, if, you know, if they're a, a person that's never used some of the active ingredients that you want used on your farm, um, you really need to become aware of some of the the uh, spray tank cleanup procedures, particularly if you're going from using dicamba or 2,4-D um, on soybeans that, that don't have either one of those traits. So I think, you know, again, I, I don't think it's too, too much of a stretch to kind of get someone to do that, but you do have to ask around and make sure we have the capacity. Um, one of the you know, opinions that I've had as evidenced by some of the problems we've had with dicamba over the past three years is I'm still not convinced we have the sprayer capacity in the state to spray all the acres that need to be sprayed in, in these windows. And if we take a couple of, um, you know, a couple of the ag retail operations that have um, custom application businesses as part of their operation out of the mix, you know, that's really going to really going to create some um, some hardships if we have our, our normal spring weather that we have here in the eastern Corn Belt. Well, and, you know, last time, Sean, you and I talked about, you know, this, this sort of issue, too, that, you know, in addition to that, there's also the potential for, you know, the challenge of keeping everybody supplied and resupplied during the heat of the moment. If, you know, if they start losing employees because of coming down with with the the COVID and whatnot. So, you know, all of this continues to point towards, you know, the importance of communicating, you know, with your service providers and just, 
you know, so that you know what's going on with them, they know what's going on with you, but boy, communication is going to be really key this year. Yeah, and, and I, I want to add into this. So I, mean, I was asking earlier on the residual, you know, how how early can you go? And we're, we're promoting this idea of being uh, prepared. And, you know, if we have something that kind of breaks down. So, Bill, if we say a week ahead or 10 days ahead is ideal in the soybean world, you know, corns, whatever, uh, Bob can handle that. Uh, but, you know, is it better to go too early on this residual or to – uh, you know, you're trying to get perfect a week ahead, something happens, and you end up pulling the trigger on planting instead of getting that residual down. So I guess if people are trying to plan for this, is it better to go too early than to say, oops, I got to plant, and then now I got to make up ground? Well, so again, you, you, you got to remember who you're talking to here. So, so my bias would be <laughs> it's, it's more important to get the weeds controlled before your crop comes out of the ground. So right. that that's where that's where I'm always going to uh, point people in that direction because some of the the biggest um, challenges I have are trying to help growers in in a situation like last year where we got seed in the ground and the next thing we know it was warm the weeds were growing like crazy and we were playing catch up all year long yeah. so you know I would really like to see the residual herbicides put out before the seed goes in the ground. And, and you can go, you know, again, if we're using full label rates rather than the setup rates, um, we can go out two, three, you know, sometimes even four weeks early. I mean, four weeks obviously is not ideal. Right. Um, one, one to two is, is really kind of ideal because it does give you a chance to get a couple of rainfall events on that residual herbicide and get it worked into the ground. And so you don't have the injury associated with the splashing rains that we occasionally see. Um, but but really, I, I don't think, you know, we're April 1st now. And so throughout most of the state, I think if, if people could start spraying residual herbicides, I would start doing it now. If you know your planting date is at least three or four weeks away, it's imperative that you use the full labeled rate and, and not a reduced rate because a reduced rate is going to break early. Yeah. And so with that, you, you made a good comment. And I think that's something that catches us from year to year is that rainfall. We're counting on that to work it in and uh, maybe avoid injury because we've had some of those issues of, boy, we got the splashing up. The, the, the clinic was just hot with samples coming in and left and right. So how much is fairly typical for a residual herbicide for everyone to know? You know, a half inch, is that enough or up, upwards of an inch or you, what's your rule of thumb there? Yeah, if if we could get an inch a week for the first two weeks, that's that's an ideal activation. Um, you know, again, activation really means getting the herbicide in solution. So the more water soluble your herbicide is, the easier it is to activate it. So, for example, if, if we're putting something like um, like an authority based product out on an extremely dry soil, you know, you'll want you, you'll want a couple of tenths of an inch, at least within the first three days, maybe a half inch, you know, five or six days down the road, and then another inch sometime before 14 days elapsed. And that's kind of the ideal situation. Where we, we run into big problems <laughs> is when we have a, a seven to 10 day dry spell right after we spray, and then we get rain. Because by that time, the weeds have, they've germinated, the shoots have emerged from the soil, and the dose of herbicide in the soil is no longer high enough to take down, uh, you know, a seedling that might be this tall with the root on it, that might be two to four inches tall with the with the root on it. 
as opposed to a seedling that just has a radical sticking out of the seed. So again, that, you know, what happens that first week is really important. And, and the worst thing that can happen would be a, a seven to 10 day really dry spell before you get any kind of precip on it. How, how far off can you go? I mean, we want rain, you want it to work it in, but you know, how much is too much as we try to get it done and hopefully get in within a couple of weeks. So if we get upwards of, um, four inches, three inches, is that now putting us out of the ball game of much activity with that residual? Well, it depends on the time frame in which you get that four inches. Four inches in an hour is bad. Um, <laughs> well, it's not going to come into the ground, so you're not going to lose it, right? It's not going to leave. Well, that's right. That's right. Um, so if, if you think about it this way, if the rainfall event is heavy enough to move soil, it's going to have a negative impact on your residual herbicide. Um, but really, you know, so again, if we if we could get an inch a week, that would be ideal because that's enough rain to keep your soil moist, keep the herbicide in solution, um, promote weed germination, but not enough where you get excessive soil movement. Okay. So if you get a, you know, if you get a two inch rain and it comes over, you know, less than 24 hours, you can expect that your herbicide is going to be diluted in certain parts of the field. Yeah, I just didn't know if you, know, you put out something two weeks ahead, upwards of three weeks, and you end up getting up close to three or four inches over that period. Not a gully washer, but, you know, is that going to push us out of contention with good uh, residual control? That, that's kind of my point. Yeah, and again, some of that depends on temperature, too. If we have cool temperatures, your weeds are um, not, uh, not germinating and, and growing as fast, and also your microbes aren't breaking down the herbicides as fast either. So cold weather can be a good thing and a bad thing, I guess, depending on whether or not you got a crop in the ground. You're listening to Purdue Crop Chat with Bob Nielsen, Sean Castile, their guest, Bill Johnson, and your host, Eric Pfeiffer. Before you go, Bob, I just spoke with our meteorologist today. Here over the next month or so, at least for the next couple of weeks, Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin says three, four, maybe even five-day stretches of dryness in between rain events. But the second half of the month, we might start seeing some more thunderstorm activity and more of that heavy rainfall. So for folks planning, that's what's out there. Well, that's what I was just going to, you know, I'm looking at the, the current 6 to 10 day outlook and the current 8 to 14. So over the next week to two weeks the, the from National Weather Service, the chances for rainfall are for slightly above normal. But temperatures are going to be also above normal over the next two weeks. They've, their three to four week outlook uh, uh, cools down the state, um, but the rainfall goes back to about normal. So, you know, it looks like the next couple of weeks there will be opportunities for rain. Who knows how much? Um, but, Bill, this sort of makes me think about, you know, we were emailing back and forth earlier today about cover crops, too. And, and you know, and you're. All of our advice, frankly, is to you know terminate these two weeks before planting. But as you said, this is the first of April. Uh, planting could be not that far away. And I think it'd be simpler to say terminate them as soon as you can. Wouldn't that be the maybe the best advice to give? That because if we you know if, if they wait for another week or two and then we get these gully washers and then they're out for two weeks, before, you know suddenly we're looking at really tall cover crops. But it seems like. For a lot of cases, as soon as they can get out to terminate them, probably that's the thing to do and, and get that part out of the way in case, you know, everything else begins to happen. Yes, um, I, I, I agree with you there, Bob. I, 
you know, I, I like to terminate cover crops um, two weeks before I plant. It gives that, that the the uh, the um, the plants time to to die, to desiccate, to get on the ground. Um, the, the other thing it allows you to do is assess how how good your termination treatment was, and also to be able to do something in addition to that uh, to that first treatment if we have to finish some things off. So, so yes, I would agree. Given the forecast, I would I would lean toward getting the cover crop terminated now, and then that way that allows you to assess whether or not you have to do any follow up treatment. Um, plus, we're, we're actually coming into some really nice weather where our daytime air temps are in the 50s. Our nighttime temps are not getting down below freezing. <clears throat> and you can just tell by looking at the field that, fields that, that things are, are actively growing, and it's kind of the ideal time to be putting out burned-down herbicides. Well, a lot of good information today from Bill. Obviously, Bob, Sean, you've mentioned weeds are a top priority. Getting a good weed management program in place is going to be a top priority this year. The calendar just turned, Bob. What else is going on out there right now in cornfields to get set here for plant 2020? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the folks that do pre-plant tillage and how wet so many of our fields are. And so, you know, we're all thinking back to last year, um, desperately hoping not to be planting corn in June and like we did last year and everybody's chomping at the bit. But nevertheless, a lot of these fields are still way too wet to be out there working ground without creating a lot of compaction. And, you know, that was one of the lessons that we were reminded of last year, that soil compaction uh, can certainly create problems later on with restricted root growth. So, you know, patience is another key to success this year, that along with communication and and to the best of our ability, you know, you know, we can delay this spring field work until the soils are truly fit. Um, I think that's going to pay off dividends later on. And, and, um, and the other thing I guess I'd say, and, you know, we brought this up on our last podcast about, you know, possible interruptions with supply of inputs or, or delivery of inputs and, you know, just another reminder that um, certainly you know, continue the communication with your service providers. Uh, if you haven't taken delivery of, of seed, get on that. Uh, try and get it uh, delivered and uh, if you have a place to store it. And, you know, I, I from what I've heard talking to colleagues in the industry, there's, there's not many uh, interruptions yet in the system. But that doesn't mean to say it can't happen. So I, I think communication is key. And 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 then you know keeping in also in mind that you know the kind of communication this year is not your usual face to face across the kitchen table kind of discussions you know heaven's sake you know we're looking at each other on Skype today doing this podcast and and it's a different kind of communication so just understand that the clarity of what you're saying to your providers over the phone or over a video conference or whatever you know, it's going to be a little difficult. And, and when we get into the heat of the battle and they're coming out to your farm to spray and they want to know where the field is, you can't just say, jump in the truck, let's go out and do it because we need to maintain the social distancing. So, you know, again, communication and patience are going to be crucial this year uh, to success as we continue to deal with this virus outbreak. Sean, anything you want to add there? No, I think as we, we go forward, uh, knowing that we have this opportunity with warmer weather coming, the fields are drying out to, to be able to get weeds under wraps, uh, I think that would be 
a huge part of our our role. I think about the seed delivery, same thing, uh, and then the priority of which fields to go to. Um, I I keep telling even my crew that we're going to move forward. We're going to get uh, trials in the ground. We're going to get beans planted, but uh, it is going to be a little different. And so we have to have our plans A, plans B, and plan C's ready and move forward. And and Bob, I can't help but but think about your comment about communicating clearly um, and not being able to just sit there with um, your ag retailer or grower and to you know pencil it out. It, it is going to be a little bit different. And so uh, whatever means that we can do to make that clear. So if it's uh, <laughs> leave a note under the door and then see if you like it or not, we've got you know, ag equipment dealers that are doing drop boxes, uh, picking up your supplies, you know, use that opportunity to go ahead and sketch something out if there's an issue. And, and maybe you're not the, the type that's got as much technology in your back pocket. Well, we can still do uh, chicken scratches and hopefully write a little neater, maybe, maybe not like the doctor's prescription. Well, and that's that's the other big thing. I, I think about all of those. You mentioned technology. All, we're, we're sitting here looking at each other doing this call. Not everyone can do that out there. Not everyone yep. has the broadband access. Some people don't have cell phone coverage out where they're at, so it is going to be difficult for folks. And uh, we certainly hope that this issue gets straightened out and uh, we can have the ag retailers and, and those who support farmers out there and sitting across the table, or at least maybe you know six feet across the front of their truck. I think, I think that was one of the rules I saw out there on social media. The, the front of your truck is about six feet. <laughs> That's good. There is one good thing about this social distancing. I, I, I can mute uh, Bob whenever I want to. I don't have to listen to him, or I can even black screen it. So, you know, there are some good aspects of this. You know, the sad part of it is I can mute myself without knowing also. Well, gentlemen, thank you for joining us today on the Purdue Crop Chat Podcast. Bob, Sean, always good to see you guys. And, and Bill, thank you for joining us today so we could really discuss some of these weed issues that are going to be very prevalent here in 2020. Okay. Thank you, gentlemen. I enjoyed it. This has been Purdue Crop Chat with Purdue Extension's Dr. Bob Nielsen, Dr. Sean Castile, and their guest, Dr. Bill Johnson. This episode moderated by Who's Your Ag Today's Eric Pfeiffer. I'm Andy Eubank for Purdue Crop Chat, a service of Purdue University Extension. And Who's Your Ag Today? Timely, relevant, credible. 